This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good afternoon and welcome to Enterprise Biz Bites. I'm Roshan Kanisan. It is November 9th, it is Thursday, 12.05 p.m. And today we've got a focus on the tourism sector and how we can bring it back to the 2019 pre-pandemic levels. Last month, during the tabling of Budget 2024, Prime Minister and Finance Minister Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim announced that Visit Malaysia year will be set for 2026 instead of the initially scheduled 2025. The Prime Minister said that the government has is, has a target of 26.1 million foreign tourist arrivals in 2026 with a domestic spending target of 97.6 million ringgit. In order to achieve that or at least support those endeavours, the government has allocated 350 million ringgit to boost tourism promotion and activities to make Malaysia the, a, a world top tourist destination again uh, in order to get tourists we need to bring tourists in and that's where this money should be spent on promoting it it's worth noting that the number of the targeted arrivals for 2026 is the same as the pre-pandemic level of uh, a goal of 26.1 million but in terms of receipts Malaysia is targeting 13% more at 86.1 billion uh, that was achieved in 2019 Uh, this year's original so far we take a look at it uh, we uh, the original arrivals and receipts targets were 16 million tourists, just under 50 billion ringgit uh, in receipts. And in the budget uh, last month, uh, Anwar said that the foreign tourist arrivals have reached around 13 million, a threefold increase from the previous corresponding period. Uh, I think the target for this year, they're expecting around 18 million foreign tourists in total. With all that said in mind, today we're taking a look at how we can best use that funding to best promote and support Malaysia's tourism sector in order to achieve those goals uh, by taking a look at the success of past tourism campaigns and what we can learn from them in terms of marketing, branding and what tourists want to see from our country. We'll explore all this from a tourism industry perspective but also a branding and marketing angle as well. And helping me with this conversation today is Anna Loy, co-founder and director of content and mar- uh, content and digital marketing at Good and Honest Co. As well as Gary Bowman, he's the director at Check In. Asia. Anna and Gary, welcome to the studio. Both, uh, Thank you for joining me in uh, the flesh. Thanks, Roshan. Thanks for having us. Hi, Roshan. Hi, Anna. Now, if you have any thoughts, you can WhatsApp us on our U-Mobile number at 018-789-8899, or you can um, get in touch with us on X at uh, BFM Radio. Um, so let's start with, uh, with you, Gary. Um, I think we can't hide from the fact that when people think of Malaysian tourism campaigns, Malaysia Truly Asia is one of those that automatically comes up. And it's when I was studying abroad and we talk about 10, 12 years ago, when people found out I was Malaysian, they look at me and say, Malaysia Truly Asia. It's, it's something that is a tagline that is so memorable and really hit a very sweet spot in terms of the the mind uh, the mind share, I guess. Um, could you give us a sense of, I guess, from your expertise here, how the memorable, camp- memorable campaigns such as Malaysia Truly Asia or other campaigns that we've had uh, from a tourism perspective stacks up against um, our neighbours in the region, for example, in the past few uh, past, past decade. Yeah, so I think Malaysia Truly Asia, as you said, it's iconic. And I've lived in Malaysia for 12 years now. But when the campaign first came out, I, I was a business traveler. I was traveling around the US and Europe. And when you're in hotels, you would see it come on <laughs> CNN. You know, you'd hear that jingle. You'd see those imagery. And you would you you'd instantly make a connection. But Malaysia Truly Asia, it also created a sort of, 
uh, conundrum in your mind. What does that actually mean? Why is Malaysia doing this? What, you know, I want to learn more. I think that was the most intrinsic part of that campaign was it actually inspired people to think about uh, a country that maybe they weren't going to travel to before. Maybe they didn't know very much about. And it put on the map in terms of uh, thinking about travel and tourism. I think we also remember it was a very different time. Travel and tourism was very, very different back in the 2000s. It was the early days of low-cost carriers. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was kind of in the pre-social media time. Uh, It was really, marketing was only really done through TV, through radio, through newspapers, through static billboards and and travel uh, trade forums. So there weren't as many channels to promote. uh, And therefore, I think it was very, very successful in what it did um, because it made such a, it made such a splash in terms of how that compares across the region, I would say it is probably the most successful in Southeast Asia. We can look and we will talk about some of the other countries in the region and, and how they 're doing things now um, but you know we can 't really always look back we always have to look forward, mm-hmm. but we should be proud of that because it was a tremendous campaign uh, Anna from the branding perspective, I think uh, Gary has brought up some interesting perspective as well mm-hmm. in terms in terms of um, the channels have changed as well, right? Uh, but I'm sure that's something we'll talk about as things have adapted. So, but in initial thoughts here, give us a sense of why you think that the Malaysia Truly Asia branding campaign left such a lasting impression. Yeah. Uh, so just based off what Gary said earlier about like social channels changing and everything, this was before all of that. This made, um, at that time, the borders between the countries seemed a lot bigger, like the distance between the countries. And so Malaysia Truly Asia made experiencing Asia more accessible. It made it seem like you could go to one country and experience mm. multiple cultures. You know, it's like sort of like a one-stop shop for <laughs> an Asian experience. Um, and it, and it worked like uh, having the jingle worked as well. Like we were having a chat about this earlier and we were talking about the fact that if you were in the bathroom at a hotel while it was played, you'd immediately hear, hear the song and be like, I know what they're talking about. They're talking about Malaysia, truly Asia. And uh, I think with those things, they they pushed it out to the right channels. They knew how to target multiple audiences through their ads and they were able to create that sense of wonder, that sense of curiosity. What is Malaysia? For most people that saw the ad, they may not even have heard of Malaysia before that, but they wondered, what is Malaysia? Why is it truly Asia? What can I experience Mm -hmm. when I'm going there? And like, so in a nutshell, it was catchy. It was attractive and it made discovering cultures so easy to attain. I like that, um, the point you made about the fact that, you know, in a, before the internet was as big as it is, um, Positioning yourself as truly Asia at least gave you that one-stop shop in order to, mm-hmm. okay, I can go to Malaysia and then experience multiple cultures. Whereas now you have the internet to kind of showcase you uh, the different cultures out there and you have more information to make decisions, which is, I guess, complicated matters when it comes to mm-hmm. tourism branding and branding your country. Um, Gary, uh, before we talk about all that complication, all the complications, talk to us a little bit about the, uh, give us a sense for the power of an effective tourism campaign and how it translates into tourist arrivals. What can you tell us about this? Yeah, so it's, it's kind of an exact science, really, mm-hmm. Roshan. When, when, when you look at it, I mean, we can all talk about our recall, the instant recall of that jingle, you know, that the idea of promoting um, uh, tourism in Malaysia globally. And I think it certainly did put Malaysia on the, on the global tourism map. If you look back at the tourism uh, arrivals during that period when it was first kicking off, you know, they, they did start to accelerate quite, quite quickly. But it's very hard to replicate and it's very hard then to actually 
take that concept and make it even more important or, or add new tangents to it. So I think in, in terms of the success, you're trying to brand a country, you're trying to brand experiences, you're trying to educate as well as entice. And that's difficult. You know, you're trying to educate the market, but you also want them to come and, and, and experience for themselves. So that, and then as Anna said, you know, the, the channels during that time were a little bit different. Now, I mean, we're in a totally different uh, era, particularly in terms of media communications, everything has changed since then. Uh, and so the way that you're looking at campaign branding is also going to change. We'll come to that in a moment. Um, but that era is very iconic and well-defined, um, but we're in a totally different period now. So if I could just follow up on that then. Um, has Malaysia truly Asia outlasted its relevance and essentially run its course? Is it worth refocusing and doubling down on? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think what we're moving into now is if you look at some of our competitors around the region, other countries, you know, tourism in this region is very, very competitive, particularly mm. in the post-pandemic era. Everybody wants more tourists. Everybody wants to get back to that magical benchmark of 2019 <laughs> uh, levels and then move on and, and grow and get more tourism spending and have tourism stay longer, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but everybody is kind of moving on. You look at the Philippines, you look at Singapore, for example, they've created new campaigns this year and they've kind of moved away from what they did before. So there, there comes a point, I think, with any kind of branding campaign, whether it's tourism, whether it's consumer goods or whatever, where you have to move on, and you have to start thinking differently. It's very, very difficult when you have this legacy that resonates both, not just globally, but resonates very much with Malaysian citizens. You know, everybody in Malaysia really understands that branding and how it actually promoted the country. So moving on to something different then becomes a little bit more, more tricky. Um, but we're also in a new era. We're in the TikTok era. We're not really about branding campaigns and tourism anymore. We're in chopped up content about experiences and ideas. Uh, so we are really entering a whole different era. It is uh, very interesting. And I think uh, earlier this year, we heard uh, that the focus for the tourism angle would be sustainability, right? Malaysia is a sustainable tourist destination. And uh, maybe it's becoming more focused, more targeted, as opposed to this larger branding concept. Uh, something I've noticed uh, on uh, YouTube actually over the last few years is my father loves watching all these different covers that are done by these different artists and the, they're singing the songs but they're in different tourist locations and you can mm. see that this is brought to you by the Sri Lankan Tourism Board or the, Sri, uh, or the Singapore Tourism Board for example so the way people are branding their location they're using the other senses here uh, so it'll be interesting to see how we what we can do in that in that space uh, and with that and I, I look to you as well um gary's given his thoughts on malaysia truly asia and whether it's you know outlasted its relevance and whether it's worth refocusing on give us a larger context there uh what are your thoughts on this i think this the slogan itself malaysia truly asia means that if you go to malaysia you experience all of asia but Traveling has become so much more accessible now. People are able to visit other Asian countries for a, very, a relatively low price. Mm -hmm. And so can we continue saying that Malaysia is truly Asia or is Malaysia a true exemplification of the cultures that are here? Mm. Um, and even then, is it a proper <laughs> example? <laughs> um, and you were talking earlier about like the way different countries are, are using branding, using songs and stuff. South Korea recently launched a very good tourism campaign that featured like uh, lesser known uh, Korean bands um, like performing in different cultural locations. And I think the idea has come back like if we want to talk about sustainability, is Malaysia at a point where we can actually say, the tourism is sustainable here. Mm. 
Should we be talking about a different um, a, a different direction? Should we be talking about it from more of a tech perspective, like uh, with uh, Cybergyre become, becoming like the hub that it's hoping to become? Um, and yeah, I, I think I think it calls to question like what what the focus is because if it's too split, if we are continuing to say that oh we're truly Asia but we're also sustainable, it may seem that the message is split and may not actually speak to what Malaysia actually is today. So if you were speaking to the powers that be and uh, like, <laughs> and you were consulting them from a branding and marketing perspective, I mean if we take a look at. I mean, I hate to do this, but Singapore. Singapore mm-hmm. does a really good job in marketing everything to a point where, you know, Penang Chakwe Tiao has become a Singaporean dish, right? That's the, the way Ooh, that things have been. Fighting fire there. <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about how you would, I guess, uh, consult or kind of guide the powers that be in terms of what to, how to brand Malaysia on a, in a very crowded field. Uh, what would you? How would that look like? Granted, I don't claim to be an ex, like mm, mm. the topmost uh, expert <laughs> on ma- branding and marketing, but I do think that there are strengths in Malaysia that aren't being focused on. For instance, Malaysia is one of the best places in Southeast Asia to start um, start a business. SMEs and startups, like it's it, it's a great playground for them. Why are we not talking about that more? Why are we not talking about the fact that Malaysia empowers businesses to begin? Um, that and that and the tech angle, like there is a ton of stuff in the infrastructure that still needs to be developed, but we're moving towards a direction that will see Malaysia as sort of a digital nomads paradise or even as the new H like HQ for MNCs worldwide, right? Um, our rent prices here are still relatively low. I mean, they're not as low as they could be, but they're relatively low. And so it's it's becoming a lot more attractive to big companies worldwide and i think even if as far as a tourist perspective you want to you want to see places and you want to see both sides of it so we talk about the culture that is here we talk about the stuff that they can enjoy and then we also talk about the tech aspect of it sustainability while a really good thing and something that we as a country should aspire to i don't know is is the main focus Does in it Malaysia cut the the noise right? Because anyone, yeah. everyone has everyone's on talking this about sustainability. sustainability. Yeah. Uh, Gary, as someone who watches the tourism space, what do you see as Malaysia's strengths in tourism? I think you've both nailed it absolutely as play to your strengths. And we, during the conversation, we've referenced, I would say, probably the two most successful countries in terms of branding their strengths, and that's South Korea and that's Singapore. They really, really focus on what comes from within and how you can promote that globally to present both the country, the opportunities, and the diversity of travel experiences within your country. Malaysia did that. With Malaysia truly alien, there's no question that it played mm-hmm. to its strengths. My feeling about the sustainability angle is it's very defensive. It's not really a proactive um, tourism campaign. There's so much energy, there's so much diversity, there's so much culture, there's so much art, there's so much cuisine, there's so many opportunities in terms of the business and the, the digital nomad. You really could focus on that diversity. I think if you just go down a narrow angle of sustainability, because mm-hmm. you also have to really, really define what sustainability means and how mm. you're going to promote that. You know, is that sustainability in terms of the ecology? Is that community impact? There are so many different aspects. And I think also with younger consumers at the moment, they're kind of a, a little bit nervous of the term sustainability because it's, it's too much of an umbrella term. It, it, it sometimes references greenwashing and people get a bit concerned about that. So play to your strengths. Don't be so defensive. And, you know, there's so much energy and diversity uh, in Malaysia. Um, use that. Yeah, sometimes the going back to those cultural exports that we have, 
focusing on them and uh, highlighting to the world why you should come here as opposed to trying to play the bigger themes. All of this we will dive into a little further in a few minutes. Folks, I've been speaking with Anna Loy, Director of Content and Digital Marketing at Good and Honest Co., as well as Gary Bowerman, Director at Check-In Asia. We've been talking about uh, how Malaysia, in order to achieve its 2026 Visit Malaysia Year goals, uh, can tap into campaigns, branding, in order to make us a top tourist destination. Again, I'm Roshan Kanesan. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Bring forth Moolah, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Enterprise Biz Bites. I'm Russian Kanesan. Given the government's goal of bringing 26.1 million ter- foreign tourists into Malaysia in 2026 in conjunction with the now rescheduled Visit Malaysia Year 2026, uh, we're asking a question, how can we utilise the 350 million ringgit budget allocation from the budget tabled last month in order to make Malaysia a top tourist destination in the eye of, foreign, uh, of foreigners? And a big part of that is how we brand and market the country. Uh, helping me with this conversation today is Anna Loy, Director of Content and Digital Marketing at Good and Honest Co., as well as Gary Bowman, Director at Check in Asia. Uh, earlier, we talked a little bit about um, Malaysia Truly Asia and the power that it had and the brand recall it has till today. But also, maybe it's time to become more focused on today's marketing channels out there. It's no longer just TV, radio, and bullet boards, there's a lot more fragmentation in the space. Um, Gary, uh, going back to Malaysia Truly Asia, <laughs> the campaign effectively showcased Malaysia's multiculturalism, its cultural diversity and identity, and as we've clearly defined in this conversation, is considered a success just because of the brand we call till today. However, this uh, the next uh, this year Tourism Malaysia in collaboration with Mata is, as we mentioned earlier, emphasizing sustainable Malaysia with a more streamlined approach to pr- uh, to promote and brand Malaysia's tourism. Um, can you maybe give us a sense of how you think, just following up on the conversation before we went to break, um, you had some doubts over how well this would play out in terms, uh, in terms of comparative success to previous campaigns. Could you tell us a little bit more, of, I guess, um, how well you think this will play out in terms of how, what other countries are doing, like, again, South Korea and Singapore? Yeah, so I think one of the challenges going forward, Roshan, you mentioned that 20, <clears throat> excuse me, 2026, the Visit Malaysia year, looking to get back to the 29, uh, 2019 uh, visitor arrivals yeah. number. So you've, you'll have a seven-year gap, really, in terms of trying to get back to that 2019 level. And that means that you're going to have to diversify your markets, where you're going to market the country to, how you're going to promote this, not just in your traditional markets, in Asia, in Europe, in North America, perhaps, but you're going to be looking at new markets in, in Central Asia, for example, second-tier cities in countries like Indonesia, in India. And then you have to think about, is there actually an umbrella branding that you can use that is applicable to those new markets as opposed to the, the standard and traditional markets. That's where it gets quite tricky. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess the, the thinking that is if you, if you read travel sentiment surveys around the world, everybody's saying we want to travel sustainably. You know, we want to be more responsible and aware to our environment and the communities, which is great. But there is a real gap between say and do and the way that people want to travel and how they're actually able to travel. You know, travel, by definition, isn't sustainable. Mm -hmm. It's it's impossible (laughs) to say that it actually is. Um, And, you know, there are some sustainable elements of Malaysian travel that you really will look at. So particularly uh, in in Sarawak and and, um, Sabah. Mm. 
huge opportunities there and they're quite well tapped already in terms of ecotourism. But when you look at the peninsula, you look at some of the cities here, KL, Penang, uh, Malacca, you know, they're not sustainable destinations in terms of that's what people want to enjoy when they go to those destinations. There's a lot of energy, there's a lot of culture, cuisine, there's a lot of stuff to do, um, but they're not sustainable destinations. So you're kind of comparing not really like for like. And I think that's where it gets difficult when you use sustainability as your overarching umbrella. Do you think there's an avenue to focus on uh, micro locations as opposed to, you know, when we look at Indonesia, you you brand Bali as a destination, right? And we have multiple locations here which could be used uh, as places to focus our tourist attention. Um, do you think that would play out better? And where should we be focusing that attention to in terms of uh, the different demographics out there. Yeah, so there's this there's two ways of looking at that I think Roshan. One is definitely that you want the, the economic benefits of tourism to to spread out across the country. You do want smaller communities, rural areas to benefit from travel and tourism, but you don't want to overwhelm them. And that's quite difficult in a country the size of Malaysia because mm -hmm. you know a lot of the areas that are close to cities, if particularly if it's a day trip, you'll just find too many people going during the day and then leaving at night and there's not enough overnight stay or anything like that. In a country like Indonesia, it's a lot easier because it's just such a huge country, you know, and it has about eight times the population of Malaysia. But, but there are opportunities, and I think one of the things that we will need to be looking at in travel and tourism globally, and I think is starting to happen, is that you've got to look at not just the big cities and not just the coastlines and not just the mountains. You've got to look at the full resources of a country, and particularly to help people who aren't, uh, as, as Anna said, um, able to afford that experience. You know, there are lower cost opportunities to get closer to culture, to get closer to indigenous communities where food is grown, you know, that kind of thing. And that's quite popular right now. But but managing that growth, right? yeah, experience, yeah, the backstory. So going beyond, you know, for example, there's a lot of um, agriculture that's behind some of the food that's so popular in Malaysia. But you want to go and find out how it's grown, where is it grown, how is it packed, you know, how do people actually uh, create these these ingredients and these spices and things like that. Um, untapped for sure. Um, but taking it to the next stage is a little bit tricky. Yeah, I don't know whether you, you both saw this story that came out in the Star last week, uh, but it talked, basically the headline was, why shopping malls are the number one tourist attraction for locals. Um, now, it's... That's just for the local side of things. But malls in themselves, shopping is a big tourist attraction as well. I mean, we've seen uh, while KIA may not have as many F&B uh, spots as it used to, the commerce side of it still is a priority for, uh, for a lot of companies. Um, Gary, from your, from your experience, tell us a little bit about how well shopping plays as a tourist attraction. Okay, so if you go back to the mid 20, 2010s, you know, around 2015, 2016, it was a big focus, particularly yeah. with the Chinese outbound market growing very, very fast. You know, and shopping, international shopping at that time was a very, very big part um, of Chinese tourism spend. That moderated quite a little, quite a lot <laughs> towards the pandemic. And I yeah. think shopping going forward is much more about. Um, local artisanal products that are actually related to the country rather than just luxury brand shopping because you can get that stuff anywhere now. You know, we've seen over the last 10, 15 years, all the luxury brand houses are in every city in Asia. There's no differentiation really between them. And actually in China, a lot of these luxury brand houses now actually produce only for China lines. So, you know, when they go outside of China, they can't buy those anyway. So mm. there's not, not really much. That arbitrage point. is no longer there. That arbitrage is not there, exactly. Mm. Yeah, so, so it's moved into a new 
phase. I think shopping is still an important part, but it's 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 part of a, a broader stream of experiences that people want to have now. It's not a reason people come to Malaysia. It's not a reason to travel, no. Um, Anna, uh, talk to us a little bit about that as well, you know, um, this idea that we could, the how do we... I guess, brand this holistic look, right? Because you've got healthcare, you've got education, you've got business as well. We are talking about that a little earlier. And all our massive shopping malls that have become more than shopping, they've become, you know, they're trying to insert experiences there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Any thoughts in terms of how this plays out, in terms of uh, how we can put this all together in terms of branding and marketing to attract people to Malaysia? Well, one thing I do want to point out is the irony between sustainability and giant, (laughs) gigantic air-conditioned buildings Um, and a lot of fast fashion in in those buildings. It kind of goes against what uh, VM 2026 is really looking at. Um, But I do think that in Asia... And this is because, and particularly in Southeast Asia, because people are afraid of being hot. Mm. Malls do still play a big part in bringing a lot of Southeast Asian um, uh, and, in general, Asian uh, tourists to to Malaysia. But uh, but Gary's also right. Um, people are starting to look outside of malls, even if malls have experiences. Do you necessarily want to experience that inside a building? Malaysia has a ton of offerings. We've got great hiking spots in Klang Valley itself. We've got uh, we've got great camping spots. If you go up to um, Kuala Kubu Baru, if you go up to Jandabayat, you've got nice camping spots. You can see nature, be surrounded by nature. But malls are still the focus and <laughs> <laughs> there's not as much uh, marketing being lent to these natural locations, right? Mm. And I feel like it, it really is included in... Malaysian tourism marketing, but it's it, it's not it's just not given as much justice in like the entire pie that uh, that's served for all of the different aspects of Malaysia. You get a lot of focus in Malaysian tourism marketing on food, on shopping, on uh, cultural experiences, but I feel like for some reason nature just like the natural resources that we have here don't get featured quite as mm-hmm. much. Uh, when honestly, if we're looking at a lot of Western tourists, that's what they're appealing to. But then comes the question: What sort of audience are you trying to go for? Yeah, are you trying to hit the Western countries, or are you trying to p- appeal to Middle Eastern countries? Are you trying to appeal to China um, and East Asia? Once you factor in all of these things, like let's say if we're appealing to the Middle East and China, it makes sense to feature these malls more. Um, people want to go in, they want to shop. Like, um, and Malaysia needs the money that's coming in from um, from say, Saudi Arabia and China. But yeah, it, it it really depends on what what the country actually wants. Like, do we want to track that sort of audience, or do we want to highlight and protect the natural resources we have? If we're talking about protecting natural resources and marketing it, Malaysia's not doing a terribly good job about doing that just on our own. Mm. Um, looking at like the mountain ranges in Ipoh, uh, some they're being destroyed by these quarries, but it's somehow justified. Uh, and so if we want to market this and we want to talk about it, it really has to start at home. Yeah, but I guess that's a separate issue, right? Because you mm. can very easily focus your camera somewhere else. Yeah. Um, you can destroy one place in your country and ma- create a very beautiful uh, focus on something else. Mm. Uh, from a marketing and channel perspective, right? Mm. given how fragmented it is, 
Um, and you talked a little bit about the target audience, which is really important, right? Mm-hmm. Who do you want to bring to the country? Not just in terms of the demogra- uh, the geogra- uh, geography of it, but the age. You want people who can spend when you come to your country as well. Uh, earlier on, I mentioned that I've seen a lot of uh, YouTuber cover music videos that mm. feature these beautiful landscapes in different countries, for example. Um, and people just playing them in the background. It's, you know, you've got the tourism board that's sponsored this video in the back. Um, are ideas like this something that we should be looking towards more? Influencer marketing in a way in terms of showcasing Malaysia um, to foreign audiences uh, using, well, the internet. Well, in this aspect, again, Singapore is doing an excellent Mm -hmm, job. mm -hmm. (laughs) They have hit a lot of the Asian-American influences that I follow coming out of the States, uh, like flying them first class on Singapore Airlines, showcasing the entire experience, putting it up in Marina Bay Sands, like that sort of experience. And I 100% believe that that is the way we should move. TVCs, while effective in the early 2000s, when Malaysia Truly Asia first came out, are not seen as widely anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but but YouTube, YouTube is sort of like our new TV, right? Like uh, having the ads run on YouTube would be super effective and you'd be able to widen your reach almost immediately as opposed to just doing billboards, um, TV commercials, and maybe even radio commercials. I mean, with Spotify, um, uh, independent radio stations, like the, the national radio stations, don't get as wide a listening, perhaps, as, as they did 10, 20 years ago. So uh, I absolutely think that this needs to be taken advantage of. Uh, we need to talk to people. like um, We need to reach out to influencers who do share uh, in, if we're going with sustainability, who do share in the sustainable travel dream. How is traveling in um, Malaysia sustainable? And working with, the, with these guys create narratives that not only back up what Malaysia is claiming, but also sell sort of a travel dream. There needs to be a story. There needs to be a story. You're right. Um, As we come to the close of this conversation, uh, Anna, Gary, maybe we can get a sense of some closing remarks in terms of the direction uh, Malaysia should take in terms of how it positions itself itself on a, uh, to foreign travelers, but also, um, you know, any other topics that, any other points that we haven't covered yet that you'd like to surface? So, uh, Anna, over to you uh, first. How, how should we be positioning ourselves or is there anything else that you'd like to touch on before we wrap up? Um, yeah, I, I really think there needs to be a, a better look at what Malaysia is trying to sell as far as its tourism goes. Um, I think just hopping onto a trend like with rebranding or branding in general, it usually follows a business's desire to change its direction, come up with new ideas or announce new initiatives. With this, with with the announcement of sustainability as the theme for VM 2026, does it also come with Malaysia's promise to establish a more sustainable infra- infrastructure? If that can't be followed through, then I think then there needs to be a better look at like what, what we can actually talk about. That being said, I do think that it is admirable that they are trying to move in this direction. Of Obviously, we everyone knows what's happening around the world. We do need to find better ways to be sustainable in our own countries. So I, I'm on board with that, but there <laughs> needs to be follow through. Yeah. Uh, Gary? 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I think one of the interesting things about Visit Malaysia 2026 is it's still quite a long way away. Mm-hmm. And we've seen, you know, this is the first full year. 2023 is the first full year of unrestricted travel activity since the pandemic, not just in Malaysia, but across the region. So, and we've seen so many changes this year already. We'll see a lot more in 2024 and 2025. So even planning for 2026 at this stage seems quite a long way out. I think the other thing that we probably have to look at is, you know, how sustainable is it to really focus only on visitor arrivals? If we go back to when Malaysia Truly Asia campaign first came out, we were tending to look in Malaysia a little bit more at longer haul travelers. The markets have changed. So people were tending to come from further afield, but to stay longer. That's completely changed in the last 10 years with low cost carriers. People are coming in and out of the, the country for just a few days at a time. So when a, when a visitor actually comes into the country, if they're only staying for three days, do they still carry the same weight as somebody who's traveling for seven, eight, mm. 10, 12, 14 days? Do you, do you still count them as a visitor statistic? Or do you actually look at a new mechanism? We actually look at the, the period of time that they're spending here, the, the, the amount of money they spend and where they go and what they do. Maybe we have to sort of broaden the metrics of tourism. I think that's something that's un, underway around the world, but it's quite tricky to do because, you know, everybody loves statistics. Everybody loves top line <laughs> statistics. Your number of visitors is really how it, it's not just in terms of promoting your, your tourism industry, but it's actually how you promote uh, the country in terms of uh, attracting investment and things like that. So gradually we'll move away from it, but I don't expect it will happen too soon. <laughs> Last question before we wrap up, Gary. Um, you, a great point highlighting the fact that things are changing, right? And in this post-pandemic tourism world, uh, we're not really sure how things have settled down just yet. I mean, we expected China to come back strong and boost the uh, tourism sector, but that hasn't really played out to everyone's expectations. What are you watching in the tourism sector in the next year or two? Yeah, well, certainly China. You're absolutely right. You know, across Southeast Asia, expectations were very, very high this year after three years of absence of Chinese mm-hmm. travellers, that business and leisure travellers would come back in, in, in big numbers. And that hasn't happened. Various reasons for that. And some of those reasons might dissipate in 2024 and 2025, but not guaranteed. <laughs> so a lot of countries are looking to the Indian market to try and grow the Indian market arrivals, but also diversify your market spread. So you're looking at other markets as well, not just in, in the region, but beyond as well. You're you also have to look at intra-ASEAN travel because it's so strong. You know, you look at the number of Malaysians going to Thailand this year, it's huge. Uh, how do you stop some of that leakage? How do you try and encourage them to travel more in Malaysia? There are a lot of things that you need to do going forward. But but I agree with what you said, Roshan. We are in an, in an era of change and flux. Um, and next year, we, in a year's time, we might have a little bit of a better idea of how this post-pandemic era is going to shake down. Um, but conversely, we may not. It could still be changing very, very fast. <laughs> Um, and uh, Gary, thank you so much, both of you, for coming into the studio and joining me today. Thank Thanks, you. Roshan. Uh, folks, I've been speaking with uh, Anna Lloyd. She's a co-founder and director of content and digital marketing at Good and Honest Co., as well as Gary Bowerman. He's the director at Check In Asia. If you missed any part of this conversation about how we should be branding uh, Malaysia as a tourist destination and looking back at Malaysia Truly Asia, you can catch the podcast on our website at bfm.my or download the BFM app. You can also find our shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and other major podcast players. Just search up Enterprise Business. 
Bellis Bites. Looking ahead, we've got the Breakfast Grill replay happening after the 1pm news bulletin. Um, I think it's no surprise uh, this is a big news item. Malaysia's inadequate retirement savings in EPF is uh, has been noted as a ticking time bomb, time bomb for an ageing nation and it was partially caused by our four special withdrawals approved during the COVID-19 pandemic. Joseph Cherian discusses his book, Track to the Future, Invest, Finance and Lessons for the New Economy on the uh, this morning on the morning run as he presented recommendations for Malaysia's for Malaysia to realign its retirement savings system. I'm Roshan Kanderson. This has been Enterprise BizBytes. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.